and welcome to episode 312 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett and Jack Harper. A slightly more sensible episode this week, not least because AJ is missing again, and also because we don't have the euphoria of a big England win coupled with some alcohol-fueled delirium. <laughs> All that aside, how are we doing today? Yeah, I mean, better than I have been all weekend, coming off the back of one horror hangover. I was just telling TK before. Uh, I did notice you aired my message. Yeah, it was top three worst hangovers ever. It was kind of, <laughs> it was, let the phone die. Um, and to couple with that is what I had to rewatch the England game because I'm so pissed during it, I can't remember any of it. So I had to rewatch it over the weekend, so I've now watched it twice. I thought you were going to say like top three last people I wanted to hear from. <laughs> and I thought <laughs> it's a bit rough. I think you've had his mind. I, no, I mean, yeah. I, I've got birthday messages from people that I still haven't opened. I've got that level of anxiety. <laughs> I'm just like, no, no, can't deal with messages. Well, I can tell you now there is a lot to get into through the course of this episode. A declaration that has probably lost some merit as I continue to say it every seven days. But it is the truth. And we will start, as always, with some news of the week. The San Francisco Police Department is requesting permission for their robots to use deadly force. I, I see these videos come on my timeline. <laughs> you know they're like the Boston Dynamic ones? Yeah. Like, what I don't get is, have we not learned from any story ever told ever? The, Watch any movie. Yeah, putting artificial intelligence in something that can kill you is not a good idea. Yeah. I'm getting a lot of clicking from someone. I don't know what someone's up to in there. Someone's having a sly one while uh, hearing my voice. <laughs> Blimey. Um, blind man who was drunk while cycling before crashing into a car has been fined. <laughs> a lot to unpack there yeah I, I'm just trying to unravel that in my mind I feel like being blind probably helped him get away with it <laughs> yeah. can't discriminate took some sympathy I mean blind drunk is that is that a thing <laughs> Jack rode his bike yeah. back after the England game yeah oh yeah actually I found out <laughs> maybe it was me maybe, maybe I was on that bike Chinese man runs a 328 marathon while chain smoking <laughs> Alex tells us this is hard graft. I, f- I feel like back in the day of hungover Brockworth football or pitch invasion football, I think I could have done that. A marathon while chain smoking. I mean, that's basically what it felt like playing over in five sides. <laughs> Might as well just had a bag. We were playing on a Sunday night. What the hell were you doing on a Monday night? What the hell were you doing on a Sunday night? <laughs> These two-day hangovers. Yeah, those two days. Man drinks bleach in Florida courtroom after jury finds him guilty. (laughs) How did he get the bleach in there? How did he do it? (laughs) Should that just be an option? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. sentence or or take the bleach. Well, even like you can just take some years off now with this, or (laughs) and we'll take some we'll take some years off your sentence, even out that way. There you go. That is your news of the week. In I was going to say, into less depressing news, we've got a man calling his son ugly. The San Francisco police are going to start using more deadly force. A blind man who has to cycle drunk, bleach in a courtroom, and a Chinese man chain smoking. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not more depressing. I'll uh, let you guys be the judge. 
not to sugarcoat this, England were outplayed, unfortunately, by the United States men's national team in the second group game in Qatar on Friday night. It was a... I'm not sure they deserved to win. It was a deserved draw. They surprised with their performance. They had a nervy opening 15, but after that, they were probably in the driving seat for more of the match than we were. I think pre-game, we probably expected that we'd control the ball and the USA would counter with Pulisic on the break. And then it was it was just a lot uglier than that. We'll get into the individual moments, but I thought the midfield was probably a good place to start. Mason Mount, Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham up against Weston McKenney, Eunice Musa and Tyler Adams. And the Americans got the better of it. McKenney was probably playing wider right, but that's the area of the pitch where they really controlled it. Jack, I'm sure you know where we're going to start here. <laughs> Mason Mount, probably the worst individual performance I've ever seen uh, since his performance in the final of the Euro, actually. Um, worse than the game in which Ibuwe was subbed on and then off for Arsenal. If I can take you through what the Telegraph has said, because, I mean, Matt Law, I don't want to say anything that could... Uh, get me in trouble it the man knows which bread to butter at Chelsea Lampard he was all he was all up in that business Lampard's left he's still doing the same thing he wrote an entire article basically saying don't trust what you saw with your eyes on Friday night because I've got some underlying numbers here that you are not going to believe yeah um- he said let me tell you he said Mount's performance against the USA will not go down as one of his most memorable, but the armchair pundits who dismiss the opinions of his managers may want to consider some of the FIFA data that Southgate has been privy to. Up until the 86th minute, Mount was the only England player to force Matt Turner to make a save, low down to his right. Rashford and defender Harry Maguire were the only other England players to test the USA goalkeeper. Harry Kane was off target with his two attempts at goal and Mount was the only other England player to register more than one effort against the USA with his first, which also came in the first half, not hitting the target. Mount was inches away from getting on the end of a lovely Kane flick around the corner in the second half and the eight different video feeds that FIFA make available to teams for for post-game analysis will also have picked up why Mount topped England's pressing stats. Because he kept giving the ball away probably. (laughs) Those inside the stadium did not need FIFA's three dedicated tactical cameras to see the terror Mount inflicted on Walker Zimmerman every time he raced to close him down. Only Declan Rice ran more than Mount's 11,038 metres and the 23-year-old's 62 sprints were six more than his closest challenger in Jude Bellingham. Mount offered to receive the ball 82 times against the USA, (laughs) the same number of times as Bellingham and less than Rice only. Did did we watch another game? Because the only player I've seen getting cooked more than Mount Online is Henderson, which feels harsh to me, but he has a larger queue ready to go in on him, I would say. Yeah, I've, it's weird because half of that queue will be 
self-proclaimed Chelsea fans as well, <laughs> like the international fans. I'm there. on about the Hendo, the, Hen- the Hendo uh, criticism here. Yeah, that as well. But yes. I, th- I think look, Mace isn't having a good season. Um, he's not playing well for Chelsea. He's not playing well for England. He didn't, he, he actually suits the position that Southgate's currently playing in because against the Iran on the half turn, it's that <laughs> seems to be his best position and he did play well. So you can see why I wanted to keep the same team. He just did not play well against the USA at all. Um, can I ask, did and, you listen to the podcast we did last week? Uh, no, I haven't yet. Okay, just yeah, we spoke about the the Chelsea fans that talk about Mount on the half turn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is that it, it actually shone against the realm when he created those chances that let's go. He did kind of run the shot. I mean, Half people can say it's Iran. Half people can look to the Wales game and see that they're actually not bad. Um, but when you've got Phil Foden and James Madison sat there not getting minutes and you've got players that aren't creating chances and you've got arguably some of the best creating players in the Premier League sat on the bench, you always go into, you're always going to come into criticism, right? So Mount getting that starting position He's always going to get criticised. Oh, we should have Foden, we should have this. I understand the counter-argument to it is that Mount offers a lot more without the ball than those other two players, which I completely agree with. And for the suffer ball that we play under, under Southgate, that that is what he's going to be looking for in a player. He's not going to be looking at players that could potentially seem to let the side down in that aspect, either not trying, either a Grealish or somebody doesn't completely trust. Like obviously, James Madison is his, probably one of the first England squads I've seen him in for years, so oh, he's not playing well. I'm not going to stick up for him and say that he is, but I don't think he's as bad as ever made out. I think it's more of the case that he's got such hot, the hot competition that people feel would do better. That's why he's getting such a beating at the moment. Well, I think part of it that you've alluded to there is he he doesn't have the same credit in the bank as some other players, and. I would say, I don't know how many players are. So say Pickford. Pickford makes a mistake and there will be hundreds of thousands of people ready to say, but he did this in an England shirt before, give him a break. And Sterling gets the same. Kane gets the same. And if you compare that to, I mean, Harry Maguire, if Harry Maguire had the game that Mason Mount had on on Friday night, he wouldn't be able to leave the hotel room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah agreed. And it's it's the same for another. It's the same for some other players. I think because of the penalty miss, I think Saka has a shorter leash. I think I thought he'd earned some way back, and then I went on Twitter during the game, which didn't read well. Bellingham is the flavor of the month. Rice seems to be in a weird pocket where people don't really know even what he is. So I guess they don't know what they're supposed to be criticizing him for. I've already, I mean, I have stood fast on this. Have I not? For years and years, I feel that he does look a bit like a defender that's playing midfield a lot of the time. I don't understand. He's great at shielding, but he lets players pass him way too often for someone that's supposed to be one of the best. I think he's very good. I'll ask you about him in just a second, but if we do say the Mount alternatives, because I'm going to ask you if Southgate would maybe still feel that was his best team he had out. Is is that the is that the big thing that there isn't really an alternative to Mason Mount 
in the squad, which then has to come down to Southgate's selection if this is the formation he always felt he was going to pick or if he woke up the day before the Iran game and said, you know what, I fancy going back to a back four because when you looked at the bench, Phil Foden hasn't been playing that position at all. James Madison's injured. Kelvin Phillips is a very different kind of player. Jordan Henderson is a very different kind of player. Now, it must be said, when we heard that changes were going to be made, I think everyone was quite positive about that fact. Then <laughs> we saw Henderson and it was like, okay. Well, actually, at that point, we just knew there were changes being made. We saw Grealish and someone else was getting ready. And I think mm. kind of just assumed it was Foden looking at the other names on the bench. And then the camera, well, like, it was something that Scorsese would be proud of. Just seemed to pan at the last second to, to reveal Henderson. <laughs> and there was a collective that I, I think it's fair I'm probably more protective over say Saka maybe than maybe. TK would feel over Jordan Henderson <laughs> but they didn't feel like even in the room I think everyone turned to the Liverpool fan to go go on explain this one then <laughs> <laughs> it was like oh, 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 oh well I think even you oh what the is going on here where, where I was watching it, I think it was basically a microcosm of what was going across the country at the time of everyone looking at each other going, what the fuck? Just the collective, the collective groan that went up as that panned to him. You're there like, what on earth is going on here? Because Byron was right. It was, when they said there's going to be a sub, we were all like, yes, right, right. It's changing it. That's good. And then as soon as that camera panned to Hendo, it was like, I think I may have physically collapsed. I think I might have actually fallen <laughs> back into my seat. And we all kind of assumed it was going to be for Mount. Like for all of, for all that's said here of Mount, I don't think he's foolish enough that he would come off. He would have in the game thought, "I'm having a good one here. <laughs> I'm cooking." No, no. And so, almost unanimously, I thought everyone just assumed it was going to be him coming off, even with the way we know Southgate feels about him. And then, yeah, when you saw it was Bellingham, who. For all the outrage, I don't think any of the midfielders could have complained if they were the one that was dragged. No. But this was just a, a, a strange one. And then we did get a bit more tempo from Henderson. I was about to say, I don't think too much. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Endo, his cameo was bad or that the idea of him coming on was bad because we probably did need to up the energy and he brought that. But you needed other subs alongside it because, yeah, it just it was, wasn't going to work him coming in for Bellingham, I don't think. And they reckon that's what's going to be, he's going to start the next one, don't they? Which, yeah, I'm even, I mean, you. they better hope he performs well in that one. Yeah, I'll ask you about the Wales selection mm. in just a moment. But I think you almost, it works in your favour if you have a particularly bad performance and everyone's on you because the manager wants to give you a chance to go out and prove, just prove them wrong. Mm. And I mean, Lacazette had about 16 of these games in a row last season. <laughs> and then you had it for a while with someone like Harry Maguire, where they do the opposite with pulling them out of the limelight and they go, go on, just keep playing and eventually you're going to get it right. We don't know what's going to happen here. We think Phillips will get minutes. We think Henderson will get minutes and so on. Foden will get minutes. But in Rice and Bellingham, these two players that we're constantly told are valued at over a hundred million pounds and they were dominated here by any of those players i know tyler adams the price will go up because he's a premier league player and that's what happens we charge each other more if 
if your team was spending 50 million on any of those three players, I think you'd be getting cooked online. Oh, imagine. Christ, imagine if you bought Tyler Adams for 50 million pounds. And that's what I mean. And so then you look at, I mean, it was really two against three for the most part. McKenney did muck in from the side, but that was because they were just pressing down Luke Shaw's uh, flank. But that was two two against three, really. And it never felt like we had control of the game. Even when we had extended spells of possession, it's because we weren't pressing over the halfway line. We had Mount, uh, not Mount, um, Maguire and Stones, who must have passed it between each other about 50 times. Mm-hmm. I think those two players, Rice and Bellingham, need to really be having a long look at themselves after the game because those were the two players that, alongside Kane, were in every single person's predicted or picked 11 to start. And when you're performing like that, I think Bellingham is the one that Southgate is going to trust less. And so he should probably watch himself. Yeah, you're right. It's just, because no one was showing for it. The amount of times Stones and Maguire would look up and, and no one's showing for the ball. It's kind I mean, of the minimum. showed for it 82 times. <laughs> <laughs> they looked at him and said, no, we're not giving it to you, son. Yeah, yeah it's the minimum you'd expect from players like Rice and Bellingham and their quality. And like you said, the, the value they're being talked about and the, the moves they're supposed to be being linked with, the minimum you'd expect from it. The In that sense, you'd have probably suggested maybe someone like Calvin Phillips would have made sense coming in. Don't know how fit he is, but it's a tricky one, as I'm sure we'll come on to with Foden. I'm not going to go and say it's sort of a guaranteed it would have changed it because I'm pretty sure Calvin Phillips played in the Scotland game, didn't he? And there's obviously a lot of parallels between this game and the Scotland game in terms of how bad we were and how sort of stagnant the performance was. So it's not a, a guarantee, but again, it's Gareth very reluctant to change things in game. And I think that's probably the biggest weakness of his management. Do you think it's something where optically, because I said at the time, okay, it was going to be Phillips for Mount. And everyone, as much as everyone wanted Mount off, it was like, that feels like a negative move. It looks move. like a negative move, doesn't it? Do you yeah. think that was part of the thinking? Or what? Do you think he was just happy with the draw? We'll take that. I'm, I don't need to risk Calvin Phillips now. We'll use him next week if needed. He did seem fairly happy with the draw, didn't he? He didn't seem that bothered about it, which... It look, didn't feel like... When you when you see Klopp sometimes put on a brave face, or Pep, Pep is the one, isn't it, where, you know, I'm so happy. <laughs> happy New Year. Gareth Jean genuinely... Like, oh, yeah, he said the day before, didn't he? Tell me, have we ever beaten America before? This is going to be a bloody tough game. Yeah, which I, I didn't know whether that was just manager speak for, right, give me more credit when we do win. But it kind of, certainly the message looked like it was, well, if you don't win here, lads, don't worry, we haven't managed it before, which probably is the wrong message to send out going into a game. Carlos Quiroz said today that USA are the best team in the group. Nice. And then proceeded to name all of their bench players as the players he's worried about. (laughs) Attacking-wise, is it a cop-out to say that Kane looked tired? Because I feel every time he's had a bad performance in an English, he's quite tired. <laughs> he does look horrible when he has a bad game. I've never known a player of that quality who, when he looks bad, just looks... He suddenly looks about 45. It just makes no it's, sense. See, the, the great indicator of him not having a good game is when someone plays a through ball for him, he puts his head down and starts pumping his legs, but then then actually proceeds to go nowhere. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Where he like, gives his arms and legs a proper pump head down and oh it's gone out for the I know that trick 
It's fine. Yeah. It's, oh no, I'll get. I'll get the next one. But you're right. When he isn't on it, he does look bad. Sometimes, um, sometimes I think it can. I was going to say cowardly, which I, I don't even agree with myself. Sometimes I, I think it it can be him avoiding his responsibility when he starts running and he's deeper than Declan Rice and Bellingham. At some point, all the best strikers in the world stand in between those two centre-backs and say, feed me the ball, I'm going to make it stick. And we're going to build from here and I'm going to lay it off and then we're going to gain some ground. And he never did that. He always chased it up and then we were playing it in. The amount of passes that were were fizzed into Sterling to say, like, control that or Saka and say, control that. Well, Kane's nowhere to be found. It's, it's, It's just frustrating. And I know he was nursing an injury, but then everything beforehand was, He's actually not as injured as like internally they can't believe what a fuss has been made about this. He was always going to be sound. I I, don't know. I think any other player of his stature would be getting far more flack for not grabbing this game by the scruff of the neck. Like Messi, and this is the last time you'll hear me put those two in the same sentence. But Messi has a far worse team playing with Argentina, and if they didn't get a result yesterday, the entire thing was being pinned on him. Mm. It was, you should be dragging this team forwards. And Kane had far more tools yesterday and he was playing against a team that's pretty much on the same level. And we weren't asking the same of him. And I understand that you're not always going to have your best game, but sometimes I think you can do the basics in terms of uh, just getting other people involved and helping us build up the pitch. Yeah. What worries me about Kane is, I know when we see him for Spurs, he does that role of, you'll see him on the halfway line sometimes because you know that, Son's making that running behind. You don't have that with England. If if he's not the one pushing that back line back, we're creating absolutely no space for our wingers, especially with going back to four at the back and the system of that being. You need a striker running in behind, pulling the defence back, to give the space to Mount and Saka and Sterling to play in that space, which then creates the overlap, which then creates the pullback option, which then creates the goals, right? Yeah. So what we're not doing... When he's when he's ambling around the halfway line or like trying to press what, the left back, leaving no one up front, not giving us an outlet, not, not giving us any kind of target, and you're not stretching the play, it makes us so easy to play against. I would probably say the fact that Southgate's left it to the first game of the World Cup to go to four at the back when we were shouting for it <laughs> the last two years is probably more of the issue here because we, we're not used to playing it. We're used to having wing backs that can create that width and that space. So Kane can go and stand on the halfway line for some reason if he wants to. I, I think as, I just, as much of the issue is that our actual wing backs have been injured right before the tournament started. And mm. so mm. Luke Shaw isn't a wing back. Trippier, being a wing back for Atletico Madrid is a lot different to being a, a wing back in an attacking system where you're supposed to be pressing high. Yeah. And I don't know, if we talk about the other attackers and then the defenders, and then we'll kind of get on to next game. Saka beat the man early, fed the one into Kane, in which it's a nice block. Um, I think it's one where the commentators and will say you should score, but you probably have to credit the defender in close. After that, I mean, that was the best we looked in that first 15 minutes and probably it's more of a good 10, really, because we looked sloppy the first five. Anthony Robinson, I went back and watched some highlights today. I've been uh, crediting Bobby Deckard over Reed 
for, a, for yeah. about three months. <laughs> there we go. We got it confirmed. For a, for a performance that was actually uh, Anthony Robinson. Yeah. And I mean, it sorted me out because then I backed Deckard over Reed last week. All worked, all worked well. But he's played him twice now, Saka, this season. And it's probably the only two times this season in which I can say he's been, he's been locked up. Mm. Because creating one chance, I'm, I'm not going to credit, say you, you've not been locked up. If, if you get one chance, if you can limit Saka to one good moment in a game, you've had a good time. That's locked him. up, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't know what it is. Maybe you maybe you go back and listen to the tape, but I was quite pleased with the management when Arteta chose Tommy Asu to sit on Salah. Hmm. Now, there's not far better. There's better left backs. There's better right backs than Tommy Asu. It just happens to be that the attributes that Tommy Asu had are perfect for a player like Salah. I don't know what even what it is because it's it's not simply that Anthony Robinson's fast. Like Saka will play against faster defenders, and he'll do far worse things to them. I don't know if there's anything that we can even pinpoint, or if it's just one of those some players just have the beating of other players. It's potentially, yeah, potentially that he he does look a good player as well, Robinson. He's had a good season, yeah. so um, I think there are other forces at play. They were good in terms of keeping their shape USA and I thought Saka and Sterling really struggled to break that down anyway um, the, the weird thing about all our attacking players was that, that I thought the thing that was so impressive about the Iran game was that passing in and around the box that's so slick and like we've been playing with each other for a long time and this looks more like an international game where you've just met up and it was kind of like the uh, when FIFA first introduced chemistry as a thing, and if your team didn't have good te- team chemistry, apparently you just could make any passes. Yeah, like, what yeah. the hell is this? <laughs> and we were kind of like that, and it struck me that confidence seemed to dip quite quickly when a few misplaced passes were made by Sterling, Mount, Saka, um, and we were basically just it seemed to like we were chasing it ever ever since then, really. Well, something that we actually pointed out during the Iran game. And I wanted to make sure I said this about Saka first so it doesn't feel like sour grapes or whatever. H- him and Trippier really do look like they've never even spoken to each other before. <laughs> it, if you're going to be like Saka and you're going to go inside, then the defender needs to go outside. And if you're going to go outside, the defender needs to go inside. So many times Saka would do a thing where he can get to the touchline and he cuts back and the goal he scored against Iran he is actually by the byline and he cuts all the way across and tucks it in. So many times Trippier is just filling into his space and you're just bringing an extra man in there and just making it more congested and you're just squeezing everything in. And when I've spoken about Saka before, I've said he's not a guy, he's not a Neymar type dribbler where he's going to flick it over your head. He essentially does the hezzy where he stops, drops his shoulder and he cuts you inside or outside. Mm. The more, the more people you bring in there, the harder it's going to be for that to happen. And it felt like in the Iran game, we'd worked out, this is what he does. This is how we get the best out of him. And then I don't know if it was nerves. I don't know if it was wanting to look busy. I don't know if it was just a poor understanding. But in 15 minutes between Saka and Reese James, I've seen more than I have with Saka and Trippier. And this was like the, the Spurs Trippier. I saw some Spurs fans, maybe <laughs> Been beating themselves up, being like, "We let this guy go." Did we, I mean, we pushed this guy out, and we've not really had anyone better since. 
And then I think they saw that performance on Friday night. I was like, okay, this is the guy that we let go because he's actually escaped a lot of criticism, mainly because we didn't see him as much because he was as bad as anyone. Yeah, he was rough, wasn't he? It- <laughs> Tricky that you are right about that understanding. I thought in this game has really showed like it was lacking. Um, we as a result we kind of ended up offering nothing down down that side, did we? Uh, by the end of it, the I think the point you make about Spurs fans on Trippier is probably just a bit of PTSD. I think he is significantly better than the one he left them, and I think he has been really good this year. So it's not like uh, it's not like it's just like a. Uh, yeah, that he's sort of yeah. oh he's playing <laughs> yeah. quite well and by the way I think he's a very good player who uh, can still sort of figure this out it's just yeah that understanding of him is like they're going to have to to work it out quickly because it was quite obvious in that game that the lack of minutes they've obviously had together he's probably quite fortunate that Southgate trusts Trent as little as he does. Well, that's the other thing. If you said about nerves, I mean, if anyone shouldn't have to worry about their place at the minute, it's trippy. <laughs> yeah. because he's, if he's, I mean, if you're not going to play Trent in this game, then that shows you've got no intention of ever playing him, I don't think. Yeah. Sterling, we barely saw him, I said, and you can look at the heat maps and the way that USA went about it. They fancied it down past Shaw and Sterling mm. and they targeted down that flank for almost the entire game. I don't know if it was Sterling's defensive work they were questioning. I don't know if it was who would we rather get at, Luke Shaw, or would we would we rather get at um, Trippier? I don't know if it's that they spotted Harry Maguire down that side even, and it's like okay, mm. would we rather go at Stones and Trippier or Shaw or Maguire? They definitely fancied it, even if it was just. Weston McKenney and he's down that side so they just keep shifting it over I mean if we said about when Kane has a bad day it looks so much different to what he looks like on a good day sure when he has a bad one it's oh, oh god yeah, and I, I reckon if I was the team I would chance it first five minutes go right we'll go entirely down Shaw's side and we'll get an idea if he's having a good game or a bad game today and then we'll just go at him if it's a bad one and defense- everyone's having their internal Jose just rear it well like defensively I actually thought Shaw was probably the second best defender in the team. It was when he actually got on the ball, his passing was all wrong. Yeah, his yeah, crossing was never correct. Was horrible. Well, Which contrasted to the first game, I thought he was great on the ball. His delivery was uh, fantastic. It made no sense. Because John Stones is lucky he was along Maguire, alongside Maguire here because one, Maguire cleaned up all of his mistakes. And two, any mistake at the back, people just would just assume that it was Maguire. <laughs> there was that like four corners in a row. And every single time, Maguire was having to move from his man mm. to head it away because Stones, I don't know if we were going zonal or man or what, he just had no understanding of what he was supposed to be doing. And Maguire was just nodding it away and away and away. And that's what made him a cult hero, essentially, was just stick his head on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if anyone's coming out of this tournament with... <laughs> Any kind, of, any kind of uh, like positive thoughts. It's going to be Maguire at this, at this rate. He's been one of our biggest attacking threats and probably our best defender. Mm. And I've been which, banging this drum. I, I can't believe it's happening. It wasn't even in my squad. Jack's watching that saying Shalabar does all this anyway, so I don't know what he's... <laughs> yeah, he does, to be fair. That was a birthday present yeah. for you, but I did say pre-tournament, the biggest crime Maguire has done is convince people that Eric Dyer is a good defender. And... 
that gets messy if that's Eric Dyer in there in oh, this God. game over Jesus. Harry Maguire. <laughs> because I actually think Stones feels a lot more confident playing alongside him. I said, mm. love Ben White. I wouldn't be putting Ben White in there alongside John Stones. Maguire is going to make a mistake at some point, And it's just a difference in... Uh, it's going to sound like I'm rewriting history here. There's a difference when Mustafi would make a mistake and he was surrounded by Socrates and Kalasanach and Bellerin. So now when we've had, say, Saliba make a mistake and he's alongside Gabriel and Tierney and whatever. Mm. And in this case, you're a lot better suited to make a mistake. And I hope when Maguire does inevitably make one, he's got the right people around him to uh, save his bacon. Do we yeah. do we rotate for Wales? That's the question now. From what we've heard, and it sounds like Trent and uh, Hendo are coming in, so no prizes for guessing maybe where the leak is in this team in terms of news getting out. <laughs> sounds like if Trent's starting, you'd assume it's going to be a larger rotation. Hmm. I said, and this is purely a hunch, I think he's going to play Saka at left back. Really? I think basically he's going to give Shaw a rest. I think he's going to go down that team and say, who do I think is the most injury prone? Yeah. Who who can't I live without? And Hmm. we're very short on left-footed players. But then part of the thinking is if Trent's in, then I think he gives Walker minutes in this game. So it's, is the system changing in that sense? Because is he going to play Walker centre-back in a four? And then I also don't think he's going to drop either Stones or Maguire. No, no, he's not, is he? So maybe Walker just comes on for some minutes. Maybe it's like in a pre-season friendly, we do 45-45. I'm not sure Wales are going to be the piece of piss that we thought USA were going to be. I think it's going to be worse. We saw it with Scotland last time round where... We thought we were just going to walk all over them at Wembley. It's not going to happen. I, when I saw that playoff and the semi-final and the final, I could, it could either be Scotland, Wales or Ukraine. I'm just sat thinking, these shouldn't be headaches that I should be having. But <laughs> each one of those teams, you're probably taking Ukraine, even though half of the world will be supporting them. I just... It's you just need horror. that early goal. Yeah. yeah, I know, but it's just, it's just a horror fixture. It's just... What could happen? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Should he rest Kane? Will he rest Kane? He should and he won't. Yeah, absolutely. I'm conscious about spending too long on the Wales game, largely because it becomes redundant yeah. in about 12 hours' time. So it's a very <laughs> short life for a podcast. But if, I mean, he should and he won't. He should have done against Iran and didn't. I think and he should have rested Kane against Iran. No, as in like later on, like in the second half, when we're three and a half at half time, I would have taken him off at half From time. what? Kane's saying, I don't think Kane told them just how bad it was. And then obviously he doesn't swell up until later on. Would you say he's being yeah. selfish? Yeah. Well, I think we've seen through his career that he is going to do that. Yeah. And maybe it's part of convincing yourself, like if you take a knock, you try and run it off because you almost just want to don't believe it and the adrenaline will get you through it. I don't think there's many footballers thinking about, okay, if I come off here, then I'll be fit for the end of the group stage or whatever. I think if Kane had scored already, then you'd see him rested. Hmm. I also think if we'd won, then you'd see him rested. Because as much as we've essentially qualified, we haven't topped the group. And there's just something you don't want to scrape through after the start like that. 
The, the thing with that is, though, so what are we saying that, like, I don't know, someone like Callum Wilson isn't able to lead the line against Wales? I, just- I think he absolutely is. I think part of it is just he'll want Kane to feel like that burden is off his shoulders because this hasn't happened to him before in our tournaments. He's come in and just banged. What happened in the last question for you to- Did it? A question for you I've to- till the Denmark game. Germany game. Okay. So he scored, he scored in the Germany game because he headed it in. Is he? Okay. All right. But then yeah. I just remember there was a conversation about, oh, is he going to score or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Give the ball to Grealish, cross the ball to Harry Kane, he goes and scores a game. <laughs> <laughs> just when I thought that song was out of my head it pulls me back in a question for you to hear then from me would be who would you feel more comfortable leading that line Wilson or Tony in the last game against Wales right now if you could if you could choose I'm an Ivan Tony stan for the most part since I got over Ollie Watkins and uh <laughs> what break yeah and Calvert-Lewin so maybe I'm not the best judge actually um, <laughs> I, I I would say Tony mainly just because I think he's the best replica of what Kane can do but at the same time I do think Wilson brings a level of calm he doesn't look to me like someone that gets flustered by the moment I don't know if Tony's that guy I don't think he is no I think he's no I I feel that Callum Wilson's completely different. He doesn't, he's going to look to kind of have back to goal. He is definitely a running behind. I, I think he can do that. I think he, I mean, he did that to I us last say, season to be, he came I'm on not, after I'm a long time. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying that I think he brings probably a different dimension where, where we were speaking earlier about creating space. He's probably the best person to look to in helping develop that space for the midfield. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think we should, rest Kane I think we should play Wilson for exactly that reason do you think part of it was just the fact he's a bit older and I mean we hear so much about having the right squad in camp and all of those things I don't know how much of that I mean I don't know how much the betting thing played into it they've all come out and said it had no bearing on it I find that hard to believe personally I think he's borderline and when you're borderline anything like that is gonna is going to fuck you ultimately. I would I would have had him as my second choice striker to answer Jack's question. I, I don't think there's a lot in it between him and Wilson. They are different types of player, but Tony would have had the nod for me. He would have been in my squad. He would have been the next guy in if, if Kane pulls out. But well, you, you're I mean, actually right. We've got, to, we've got to rest him. To, if he gets injured in this last game, it's just catastrophic. Is um, I mean, it feels like a long time ago now that we were playing Premier League football. I think we said at the time as much of it yeah. was just this guy has been scoring in the last like three games and this guy hasn't scored for about two, which is sounds mental. I know, mm. but it, the, the energy very quickly shifted, didn't it? From we got to give Tony a chance to Wilson has got to be in the squad. Yeah. I think I said at the time, I, I didn't consider it an either or choice. No, but Southgate obviously did. Um, you are right. He, he kind of, to say he fell out of form at the wrong time is massively overreactionary, but he, he wasn't at the peak of that form that got him yeah. in the original squad before um, where they put him on the bench and didn't play him. I guess maybe that was a warning to us. The fact yeah. that he didn't, he calls Tony up but doesn't play him. Uh, it's potentially that he doesn't fancy him. But still. A lot, I mean, we we were reading his obituaries before that Germany game, so not a lot made sense going into that one. Yeah, true. Um. Now, something that will extend past tomorrow's game. If we were playing 
one of the Frances or Germany's or whoever, if we were playing a big team tomorrow, was the Iran team our best side? Will he re- revert to three at the back against a big team is, is the question. Because I think, I think that's what he thinks his best team with a four at the back, but will he get a bit nervous and go back to what he knows? Do you think it's might impact his decision that we haven't seen that from the other big boys. So Spain didn't set up with a five yesterday. Germany didn't set up with a five yesterday and they were both playing big teams themselves. Previously, when we were going into the Euros, everyone was doing it. And so it was matching them up as teams did against Chelsea. I don't know how much of a difference that'll make. I think he'll definitely do it. If we play France, I think he'll definitely do it. Only because he'll shit himself about Mbappe. And I think he'll he'll want to get Walker into the team, I think. Yeah. And he'll yeah. probably play him as the third centre half, I imagine. The thing is, rightly so. Yeah, yeah I'm not, I mean, not gonna uh, chastise him for yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at this and I think we we're all saying how well Karen Aguirre's done, mainly because he surprised us, but he's played Iran in the USA. He hasn't He's still if you're picking a back four or a back five, he is he's, he's in the it. first name yeah. there, probably. I'd yeah, yeah, yeah. pick him over John Stone. Sure. I probably agree with you, but just the thought of him up against Mbappe just really <laughs> terrible. Yeah, the, the, the issue is, in me and TK spoke last week about what we made of the substitute that when Maguire went off, it was Dyer came on. And if it was, okay, Dyer is considered the more roughhouse defender like Maguire, White mm. or whoever else is in the John Stones bracket, Connor Cody, <laughs> just a nice bloke. Squad morale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a nice guy. I I think we two changes is our best team. Um, I, mean, I haven't actually taken Mason Mount out in this one, so oh, who have you take, taken out? I think you take out I Sterling for Rashford, and yes, and I think you take out Trippier. I thought so for Benjamin. For ben what? Yeah, for Benjamin. We we looked like a team that were just so unfamiliar with each other. And if our strong point is attack, I just want some familiarity down those sides. So if it's not going to be Saka there, then I wouldn't say, I would still say Ben White's the best one. But my thinking is, these two guys play together. These two guys play together. Let's have some kind of chemistry down there in terms of the overlap, underlap or whatever. Because we don't want to be stuck. Our wingers were being given it at a standing start. And it's so hard to get at wingers then when everyone's been able to tuck in and you're not moving at them on the break or anything like that. I just want something to be a bit more free-flowing and maybe those two guys make a difference. That's never going to happen. So even especially with White uh, supposedly being out of training with an illness today. But that would be what I would say if we were going to just make some little tweaks to make this system better. Because Sterling, when I did a search of everyone's name on Twitter after the game, that man got let off lightly. <laughs> when you talk about cash in the bank, though, I suppose he was being pelted before he came into the Euros and he was our best player throughout the whole tournament. So I guess he just, he does it for England. Like, does he though? It's, it's just one of those where, like, on the on the sort of on paper, he, he scored and whatever. But you just watching, like, I don't know. Yeah, because that, that's the thing. If you watched Saka's performances, even going back to the World Cup, uh, to the Euros, 
Saka was doing more. Yeah. And Sterling, Sterling, obviously, the numbers he puts up in that tournament are fantastic, so I'm not downplaying what he did there. I'm just saying it's not as... This guy absolutely does it for England because the games when we've been at our worst, the guys that we say we have to have in the team because of what they've done have also been amongst the worst uh, competitors on those occasions. Agreed. But I think Sterling has that experience in the wings, which we just don't have otherwise. Where if you're going to play one that's young, i.e. Saka, Sterling has that experience of just knowing where the ball's going to land, having played that position for so many years and having it fall to him. And it only has to fall to him once, as they say, in tournament football, you know? I think if something's bobbled around the 6 yard, or Harry Kane takes a shot and it's saved, like you go back all the way to the 2018 World Cup where... He was in the position for Harry Kane to square it to against Croatia to go 2 0 up. He's in those positions, which I don't find other wingers generally find themselves in. I feel Saka, because he does so much, he's not in the tap in positions where you need him to be. Oh. If you look back at the semi final against Denmark when we, he gets that own goal that he's kind of pressuring the defender into, that's his work for being in the right place. I think that's what you lose if you take him out of the team because I feel Foden will be trying to get on the ball so will Saka I don't think Foden's going to be that guy anyway I was actually going to follow on from a question I asked you last week TK when I said Rashford came on for Saka was that a matter of convenience or should we read anything into him coming in on the right hand side Hmm. he comes in on the right hand side again on Friday is Rashford Saka's understudy so to speak if you were doing a depth chart or again was it just a I need to get all my best players on the pit. I need to get all kind of these impact players on the pitch and it's just wherever we can squeeze them in. It felt like the latter, but then once you've done it twice in a row, am I stupid to think that? You know, because my question was going to be then, if Sterling is injured tomorrow hmm. and he's out for the rest of the tournament, do you think if Southgate is putting his best team on paper, is it Grealish or Rashford that he lists on the left on the left-hand side? That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because would he start Grealish? Is, because know, he's brought Grealish in then on the left-hand side twice now as well. Yeah, but he seems now comfortable with bringing Grealish on. I do question if he would start him in a game. Um, whereas I think he would feel fairly comfortable starting Rashford. And it seem, seems like a, a bit of a paradox that that yeah. Grealish seems to be ahead of him in the pack in order in terms of coming on as a down that left-hand side. But I, I'm not, I still don't know if he would trust him to start, which sounds... Fucking mental, but uh, yeah, it's the, the question is we're debating this. I kind of feel like Southgate's debating it. I mean, like, he doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, ha- having rewatched parts of that game, which I'm with Jack, I regretted doing. <laughs> I think there was a feeling in about the 90th minute of, uh, well, look, Grealish has done more in this time than Sterling did. I think Grealish did a fantastic job of looking busy. <laughs> when when you actually weigh it up, like the comparison, I keep using Arsenal comparisons, but it's because they're personal. I said to Jack that I felt nervous for the 90 minutes when Arsenal played Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And then when I reflected on the game afterwards, it was like, were we ever in? Should I ever have been that worried when nah, you I was reflecting upon it? <laughs> and with this, you were reflecting on it afterwards. Did Grealish do that there was the one where he cuts across and he gets off a terrible shot that always looked like being a terrible shot there was nothing he did that was that much more threatening than what Sterling did 
So I think we Greedish. were so desperate for change that... Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Greedish does have games with plenty of, sort of empty calories in it, um, but it just looks a bit slicker and fancier, so we kind of buy into it a little bit. And then the 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 Foden question is the is the one that I've kept back. What do we do with him? How good is he? Gary Neville has been telling us now. <laughs> I mean, this is a once in a lifetime talent in a lifetime of his that's seen Maradona, Ronaldo, and Messi. So I don't know what the hell this guy's on. <laughs> Him after the game, is he even doing his Qatari TV or is he just slinked across to do ITV, by the way? Seems like he because did like this... one being sports show. And was, it seems Because this guy honestly has some, some nerve. Like, <laughs> if, if it was Carragher on there and it comes after the game and he says, you know what? I think it was time to take a chance. We had Trent Alexander-Arnold on the bench. We had Foden on the bench. They're two of our best attacking players. I'd have liked to see them. When Gary Neville thinks he can just sneak in, I mean, you have Foden and Trent Alexander-Arnold on the bench, two generational attacking talents. Hang on a minute. <laughs> you were on Sky Sports a week ago saying you cannot trust this guy in an international tournament. I don't even think that this guy could be anywhere near the side. I think Southgate agrees with me. And now you're on the, oh, I think he's made a big mistake there and I'm getting this guy on. He... He's a fantastic politician. He's very new in the job, but he is suited for this. Like you wouldn't believe, to quote himself. It's the worst kind of like armchair punditry as well. The kind of thing that managers accuse pundits of, where it's like it's the easiest thing in the world to do that because he has literally flip flopped from one thing to the other there, just based on uh, sort of this suits it this week, and I can change it as soon as it goes wrong because I'm not in the job. I can go, oh well throw him in then yes yes i don't it's almost like with him at times he doesn't realize with his platform that his voice carries because the way he talks about trent i think does go some way him and others go some way to shaping the narrative on him i mean i know people have drawn a lot of comparisons of recent with um trent and cancelo for example and we saw it in portugal's first game cancelo was all over the place but it's kind of the way that the two are perceived, you wouldn't think he's anywhere near as vulnerable as we perceive Trent. And that's largely in part because of people like Gary Neville. So to then go, well, why isn't Gareth Southgate playing? You've probably created a big reason why he isn't. It's like if if two weeks ago, Jack came on here and said, and you've got Hakim Ziyech on the bench. And how can you leave a talent like Hakim Ziyech on the bench? You've got Pulisic there as well. And I just don't understand why you wouldn't get these goals on the pitch when... We'd be calling Jack the Oracle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just mental. It's it's frustrating. And I mean, we were both sat there after the game and you heard him say it. And I said, This he's got some nerve coming out of this now. And I didn't really see him getting much flack on Twitter. I thought that was going to be one where unanimously people were going to go, hang on a minute. And instead, people were just that disgusted by what they'd seen. There's, yeah, and we have got Trent on the bench. United fans <laughs> going, why have you left him on there? We've been saying this all along. <laughs> it's horrible. I, I did see some mention that when England have lost the big matches under Southgate, and this felt the closest to a loss in a big game since the big games that we've lost. Hmm. Um, like the 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 Belgium, Croatia, Netherlands and Italy are the ones that have been highlighted. Hmm. We've kind of had an element of control and then we've lost that 
slowly to a technically superior side and a more experienced side. This time around, it was a younger opponent. They were more energetic and we were the more experienced. And we are, whether it was motivation, what it was, we just looked completely off it. And after the Scotland game, we were made a mockery of pretty swiftly when we then go out and win the games that we did. And I can remember recording the podcast before the Germany game. And it's one of my favorite podcasts that we've done just with, I guess, how excitable everyone was. <laughs> and maybe they're going to do this to us again because we were looking after the Iran game again. How many of those Brazil players would get in our team? <laughs> we didn't all go country level and go, that Mason Mount. I think we've been looking at the wrong guy in Neymar all this time. Kundi gonna Kundi. Yeah, maybe it's going to change all over again, but I don't know. I think Southgate almost has to play a certain seriousness aside, if that makes any sense, just to kind of get things back on track because you don't want this carrying on. You spoke before the tournament, TK, and, uh, for the Germany game and said the one thing they had going for him was the kind of public support. Hmm. And if you clawed some of that back with the Iran game of maybe this guy doesn't know what he's doing, you can see in one game, other than the same journalist that will just say anything for a bit of attention, most were saying, hang on a minute, you should be doing more with this level of talent. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, he's got that thing under pressure club managers have where he doesn't get the credit when it goes well and it's all on him when we lose or draw in, in this case. But it's kind of, we're kind of waiting for the slip up and that's a difficult spot to be in for a manager because it's pretty much always going to go downhill. So, do you think he has the reputation as a negative manager in, in in the wider public view. So if, say, so Jack, Jack was campaigning for Jose to get this job. Now, Jose, from even the wider casual fan and just in general, has, he's a negative manager. This is what he does. Everyone part the bus, blah, blah, blah. And so right from any kind of hint of that in a team's performance, it would be, well, he's a negative manager. Does Southgate have that? Or does he still get rushed that he's maybe a bit more than that just because of the success he's had? I don't think anyone I, I don't think anyone I know views him anything other than being a negative manager. I think with the like I said, with the attacking players that we've got on that pitch and to play the way we do sometimes. We we play with a fear and the problem with that fear is it then transcends into performance. Like You've only got to look at the Euro final against Italy where we go 1-0 up. So really, you should, you should count that as a bonus and go for a second straight away. But that was the, the last shot and target we had in all game. And it was in the second minute or like into the last, into extra time or whatever. And that transcends then, doesn't it? It becomes the performance. It doesn't just become this narrative. It becomes, right, we're, we're just going to try and have, keep yeah. what we hold. And you're going to come up against teams with Naus. They've been there, done that. That are just going to claw themselves back in the game because of it. So what you really need to do, when, when your heel's on the neck, you need to keep pressing. Yeah. Really, it's not, you can't let them back up to have another swing at you. And that's the problem now. That's the worry I have as an England fan. That if we do go and play somewhere big and we do get a goal to start with in the first half, we'll just let them back into the game because 
of the fear that surrounds Southgate's tactics. Now, the other thing with him as well, the contrast to him or defensive manager like a, a Jose or a Simeone, I think he's seen as cautious and conservative because he's scared, not because this is the plan. I think Simeone and, yeah. Simeone and Marino are kind of aggressively defensive, if that makes sense, whereas Southgate's yeah. more passive. And I don't doubt they were probably thinking, how do we counter what the USA can do? Where you'd go, most managers will go, well, look, our 11 is better than theirs. We do what we can do. We'll beat these. And at yeah. what point does that translate to the players where they go, hang on, why are we just focusing on the opposition here? That, that was, uh, what you said there is probably the best way I've had it, heard it summed up. You think of like Mourinho, that fearlessness of, right, you're going to have to do something special mm. to score against us, but you know we're probably going to get a chance. And our striker, Harry Kane, is going to be the one that scores it. So you've just got to make sure that you're perfect for 90 minutes because you have to be to beat us. That was the fearlessness. Whereas teams can be like, right, if we have a bad first 40 minutes, we know that we're going to get a chance in a game or a period in the game where we are going to mm. be on top. And we need to make sure that the lapse in concentration, which usually happens with England, will capitalise on well, it. If we take a look at some of the other teams and some of the other action that we have seen. So Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia and in fair to say it's kind of snuck past Mexico yeah it wasn't convincing was it I mean Moments of obituaries were being written for Messi hmm. at half time I mean Joe Cole I, I don't know with what level of seriousness he said it until Gary Neville got him to repeat it is dishing out I mean he's butchering Hagler quotes to be honest about silk pajamas. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, what sense does what does this even mean in this <laughs> in this moment? <laughs> and then Gary Neville's going, you need to see his body language down here. The way he's just strolling about the pitch at half time before the second half kicks off. I do wonder as well, with the messy strolling around thing, has these punts watched him before? It's like it's kind of what he does. <laughs> and generally regarded as the best player ever so he's not going to suddenly change that because the game's going badly at 35 years of age well yeah Neville seems to be hammering home and he's trying to to reshape um, the narrative of how things have gone that he's always been in this camp that Ronaldo was wrong for United since the start of the season towards <laughs> the end of last season when it's being pointed out and so he keeps trying to take these little digs at Messi where he keeps saying and look we've seen this at Man United for the last 18 months you've got this star player and he's not doing XYZ and in a lot of times they couldn't be further from the truth in just I think Messi has accepted the way that he needs to play football now whereas Ronaldo I mean he knows the way he has to play football but he's not necessarily doing it to the the best uh, of the team's interest so I think a lot of those comparisons have been lazy Mexico, maybe the familiarity with the teams have played each other more. They looked harder to break down than they looked threatening at the other end. But it was definitely still a nervy game. After you lose that that Saudi Arabia game, which feels a lifetime ago now. Hmm. It was the day after we did our last episode. They did what they needed to do. Something, and you may have seen this tweet, I think it may have been from Rob Dorsett at Sky, but not convinced he quote tweeted a video of them celebrating in the changing rooms afterwards and he said this doesn't feel like uh, it's conducive to winning a tournament with the highs and lows you shouldn't be up here 
and then write down here and, and so on. You shouldn't be standing up and banging the walls and doing all of these other things. It should be, we beat Mexico, we're happy. We've got another game in three days. Prepare for it. Is it that other teams are doing this and we're not seeing it? Or do you buy anything into that, that it's already been such a roller coaster for Argentina that they could be wiped out when it gets later in the tournament? I did see that. And I thought it's an interesting point. Um, and yet celebrating a narrow win over Mexico probably doesn't scream of a team that is confident they can win. It seemed more relieved than anything. But at the same time, once you get into knockout football, kind of each game kind of gets like that anyway. And I think we've seen teams that are, you know, go on good runs that have been up and down, like this Argentina team. It's I think ultimately, if they don't, it's because they're not good enough. If you look to their games so far, they haven't impressed. And I think that'll be why they don't win. It won't be because they've just been too on too much of an emotional roller coaster. I think it'll be a lot simpler than that, just that they're not good enough. Do you think there's anything in it? with the pressure for the other Argentina players that you don't want to be the one to hamper Messi's legacy. Yeah, yeah. When I saw people saying recently that it's only really in this era of football that we've downplayed the importance of the World Cup and international football. When you look at the GOAT debates of previous times with Pelé and Maradona and so on, the international tournaments and the success at the highest level there has been what some people have as a difference maker in these debates. Yeah. And... Higuain, I've not watched it back. I mean, it even felt at the time that he had a stinker of a performance in the World Cup final that Messi could have had. Is there a pressure from maybe some of these younger players or even the older ones as well that, look, we're not just taking down Argentina, we're taking down Messi, certainly as long as Ronaldo's still in the tournament as well? Yeah, it, oh, it's such an extra layer of pressure on, on a country that's always going to have a lot of pressure anyway that the attachment of Argentina to the World Cup is it's going to be a heavy burden for these players. But the extra layer of winning it for Messi is, I don't know, I'd pro- you've probably never seen anything like it, really. There's probably never been a an instance of we've got to win it for this guy and all the pressure that's going to add to it that, that, that they're facing currently. And the the press that came out after the first game, I mean, we, we I think we've been quite open on here. I believe Jack's on the same side, I'm not too sure, in terms of the Messi-Ronaldo thing and what we think of the two players' personalities. The the press in terms of Messi calling a team meeting, saying that this is on everyone, it isn't on any one individual, we all need to be doing this, we need to sort things out quickly, and just all of the right kind of things to hear rather than, look, he was pointing fingers and the goalkeeper should have done better with this one, he doesn't feel that defence have done right. I don't know if you notice any difference in that and if that should help compared to what I can imagine the headlines would be and already have been in the build-up with Ronaldo in the Portugal camp. Well, there's also the the flip side to that. And this is reflective of who we end up having on with punditry, which Neville and Keane, etc. are um, about as good a PR company as you'll ever get. But people will say with Ronaldo, well, look, he's a winner. He cares. Look at that. He's calling people out. It's good. They'll they'll frame it that Messi head down sulking or whatever. So it, it's just how you frame it. Um, I know which one I think is a, is more of a team player and a better personality and something that people will get behind. But I, I know how things get presented. Yeah. Um, expecting them to go through then at the weekend? Argentina? Yeah. I still think they will, but I don't think they will um, convince. Not at all. Well, so it's uh, Barcelona's present versus Barcelona's past. 
yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. Uh, Lewandowski is going to uh, try and hammer something home. But they've been as much of a disappointment as any team in this tournament when you compare what they've got to the way they're performing. They've stank, haven't they? Yeah. they. And Argentina, if they do get through, are going to be fortunate that Mexico haven't really shown anything, certainly as an attacking force. And Poland look like they've, we said before, that they haven't played together and have no idea how to play Lewandowski, which is a weird thing for what your country should basically be building their whole style on. It's interesting. I've seen journalists and I saw it when I was preparing for our preview podcast. And statistically, we actually have the hardest group in the tournament, which feels mental because we don't have Spain, Germany, Japan in Mm -hmm. our group. I actually think you'd have people feeling more nervous if we were in with Mexico and Poland compared to Iran and Wales. So it's interesting and maybe these teams are just worse than we had them down for or they are just under-delivering. I I don't know. Um, Hopefully Argentina go through. It's a weird thing where you almost want the drama for these teams. Maybe not if we had a chance of winning it, but... You know, with the Champions League where you want the big teams to go out in the group stage until it gets to the knockout phase and you're like, now Man City have drawn Seville. Why the hell am I watching this? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's it's better for us as a viewer to have Germany and Argentina and these guys in the next round because even just some of the quarterfinal matchups look just beautiful. Yeah, I even remember thinking it in a... In the Euros when France went out, I was like, oh, that's a shame, isn't it? Because it'd be good to see them in there. What am I talking about? Whistle, isn't it? (laughs) We end up getting France. We don't want any of that work. And Germany, who lost to Japan, the Japan manager might be the most most frustrating of any bloke in the tournament because what is this thing of just benching all of your best players? (laughs) But if you lose your first game, you, you probably don't want to see Spain as your second fixture and the game they had last night was probably the highest level of any game we've seen in the tournament so far. And I thought both teams why they should be showed why they should be feared when it comes to playing them later in the tournament. Yeah, because in the first half, I wasn't convinced. I thought Spain had a lot of the ball, weren't doing an awful lot with it. And I thought Germany lacked a bit of spark again. And then second half, I thought, as you said, it it reached a level where you had two teams competing on a level we've not yet seen. Um, Felt like a knockout game. Tactically and technically, yeah, there was a tension there as well, wasn't there? Um, you wouldn't, you'd, you'd be concerned about both of those teams and yet all it would take is us to put on a good performance here against Wales and we'll be going, yeah. oh look, we've got nothing to worry about with these two. And so, <laughs> I was, yeah, I was quite bullish about Spain uh, <laughs> on Friday pre-game. Um, <laughs> But if it felt to me and the the quality I actually think was better at times in this game, the Spain-Portugal game where Ronaldo gets the hat-trick, where I think that was the first game of the group actually, but it felt like it meant so much more. Yeah. And this one, even if you took out Germany losing the previous game, it felt so important just in, just in terms of putting a marker down on someone else. And I think Spain are the only team so far. They've actually had two solid performances to show what they're about. We've seen Brazil struggle at times mm. earlier. Neymar's been injured. You saw the performance we had in the first game compared to the second. You saw the France have gone behind to Australia. Denmark were on top at times. Spain have been the one that have been the most consistent of the two sides so far. And if we were putting it just down to being Costa Rica in the first game, it aged well when it came to the second. And uh, 
they're still doing that and dominating the ball in the way that they are with such a young midfield. It's probably good for Spain that they drew with Germany because I think potentially the expectations at their end, I know what their press are like, could get spiral out of control. You win <laughs> 7-0 and then you beat Germany. As it is, you can say Costa Rica were an absolute fucking disaster. They were horrible. Yeah. Um, and so you take on a team that's actually good and you have a good competitive game that ends in a draw. You can kind of be, okay, we're good, but we're not going to get complacent. Uh, I'm I'm telling you, I've got Kibic on fraud watch. I, I like this that you've got guy, the surveillance. I like it. This guy, <laughs> we give you we're we're giving you almost no credit for Bayern Munich. Whether that's fair or not fair, mm. we've all been burnt by too many players coming over <laughs> from the Bundesliga. <laughs> and I'm telling you, few things feel like a kiss of death when you've not heard of a player and you go, they were in the Bundesliga team of the season, by the way, last year. Kalasanac is the standout for me because we signed this guy on a free and I'm hearing this might be the best business Arsenal have ever done. <laughs> I remember we needed a left back at the time and I'm going mad saying, oh, hasn't Klopp signed this guy? We also yeah. need someone. An idiot. Yeah. And then it's one of them where, I mean, we said it with Southgate and Sancho. <laughs> Sometimes you've just got to say fair play. You knew I'm, more than I did. No, I'm, I'm not... Uh... I'm, I'm saying I'm not guilty with the Sancho one. I had scepticism about that man early doors before he came to England. Check well, the tape. A, a lot of us didn't. Um, and so sometimes you say fair play. I mean, I went early and credited Southgate for seeing this with Tamori. And then I saw Eric Dyer in the squad and felt I'd gone too far <laughs> to now campaign for Tamori afterwards. <laughs> but Germany, a number of their players aren't delivering. I mean, Gundogan seems to look like he's doing everything right, but can't hit a barn door with a banjo. Mm. Nabri, I mean, we might have to have a talk about this guy because he's just got a big contract. I mean, he, he used us for a bit of clout last season. This is a guy who's not got going yet. Joe Cole needs to get his uh, silk pyjamas analogy back out for him. <laughs> yep. I mean, Musiala's shining, showing us what we could have had. Some of the hot takes with the, oh, well, he's not actually looking that good. It's fucking just so stupid. It's, he looks the yeah. part. Yeah. And and he, and then you've got, I mean, Havertz has, was dropped for the game <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> even when you compare, like, the guys there coming off the bench, they're making a difference. They even brought, I think, Schlotterbeck came in off the bench in the first game. You got goals off the bench in the second game. Sane, uh, Sane showed what his career post city has been. Where it's like he looks a real threat, and then why the hell has he done that? What is he thinking? <laughs> yeah, it's. I think you'd be more fearful of Spain, but I'd be more worried at one nil up against Germany. We're gonna have an awful lot of stereotypes if Germany find themselves in the semi final. You're gonna have an awful <laughs> lot. Of, well, they're not really a good team, but they just get it done, don't they? They find themselves there. Well, I mean. At nil-nil in the Brazil game earlier, I saw an account tweeting saying, I'll tell you one to keep an eye on now, those odds for Germany. Because from what I saw last night, hold your horses here. (laughs) Spain, I mean, the same criticisms we had before time. Morata certainly gives them something in terms of a focal point. But Morata shouldn't be your guy. They just scored a really good goal and missed a sitter. I mean, how there you have go, they not got a striker up. coming through, and how have they not had strikers coming through? <laughs> it is odd, isn't it? Because I, I, 
The one I find really strange, and I think we've done this before. Brazil, I was going to talk about this later. If I'm a Brazilian winger at this point, I look at the the names in front of me and say, not a chance. And I say, how can I be the best defender I can be? Because there's a space there at fullback. Yeah, really odd. I look at some of these wingers coming through, and maybe it's on the academies and things. Surely you at least give these guys the tools to play down the middle because the false nine isn't going to be in fashion forever. And something this World Cup has shown is that there isn't really an archetypal striker out there at the moment. We were convinced when Darwin and Haaland were bought that the big man striker was back. And then Gabriel Jesus has been doing what he's been doing for Arsenal and so on. It's interesting, but it it just seems an oversight that they can't get a new Busquets and they can't get someone to play down the middle because Morata wasn't picked for the last World Cup. He doesn't strike me as being that much of a better player than he was four years ago. We're still speaking about him in the exact same way. Yeah, yeah, he's he's no different. Is it? It's, it's a tricky one. Is it just as as a sort of a, a coaching level, academy level? Is it? Are they just trying to get technical midfield players, which they've got an abundance of? Um, is there more of a focus on that? Do they need to change that, up? or is it just just like a generation where you just don't have it? If you were to look at um, Spain, say in the early noughties, you'd have had the flip side of that, where you go, you've got an elite striker and someone like Raúl but probably not the pieces around him. So is it just a sort of cycle? Is this just the time? I don't know. Can we not just do some kind of wife swap where we take all of the Spanish national team coaches, <laughs> they take all of ours, we get good midfielders, they get good fullbacks, <laughs> and just everyone is happy. Southgate get lynched by the Spanish press. Christ <laughs> alive. They're on Enrique's back and he's actually achieved something in the game. I saw a tweet yesterday that said, just so you know, Southgate would absolutely have Pedri drop for Coke. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. He looks brilliant, by the way, doesn't he? Him and Musiala, look at the at the pressure coming in and they had a ready-made excuse in, well, look, they're young. You're going to hear there's plenty more World Cups for them to come. And then they're just out here. And I think five minutes into the game, there was a little shimmy that Pedri did and he played a pass down the wing. And my timeline in unison was like, yeah, they've got one. Yeah, he's... Wow. <laughs> he's out of his world the, uh, I, look, I'm a huge fan of Gavi as well I think him and him and Gavi is going to ask you about him is an absolute scandalous partnership I think his ceiling I think he's not going to get talked about quite as much as Pedro I think his ceiling could be even higher I just think he's got something about him okay so my next question about him then which ties into that was going to be we've seen a lot of back and forth before and you hear it a lot more in basketball as to if we're going to have a Batman and Robin, someone has to be the Robin. Mm. At this point, does it feel to you like Gavi is comfortable in being the Robin? Or can you have two Batman in this situation? I don't know how you see it because it very much feels like Pedri's the guy and we've got Gavi as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably the the wider perspective on it. I think, just in terms of watching him on the pitch, how they put themselves about, the personality-wise would be almost the opposite of that. It's like Gavi puts himself about more, seems to get in people's faces a little bit more, and is a little bit more all-action than Pedri, who's a little bit more Rolls-Royce, if we want to go uh, full uh, cliche on on you. The the thing is, the Xavi-Iniesta comparison feels simultaneously lazy and yet 
somewhat accurate and they were able to make it work and I think you potentially could have that situation I just think at this point I think Gavi probably has more room to improve I think there's every chance that people will expect Pedri because he's so young to keep getting better and better and better and yet he's already probably if he's not a world-class midfielder already he's the next tier I think he probably already is and this could be him this could be him for his career whereas I think Gavi probably can get better and I think I said, where he's a bit more all action, I think he'll probably add more goals, etc., to his game. And in a few years, I think we might be having conversations where we're giving Gavi a lot of fuss and Pedri, in an in a odd way, kind of becomes a bit underrated by comparison. Well, I, I saw people saying, and again, it's going to feel a rush conversation starter. But for the last however many years, we've seen it with Sterling, we've seen it, I guess, with Rashford, we've seen it with um, Trent. When we get to the end of season awards, and it's like, no, these guys should be in the grown man conversation. They <laughs> yes, shouldn't be yes. in the young player conversations. <laughs> and it already feels like with Pedri to me more than Musiala, we, sh- we should be talking about this guy with like the Modric and De Bruyne and saying this guy's performing better than he is. I, I shouldn't be comparing, I mean, even Pedri, uh, I think people always try to be a bit different. If you were saying, 100 million player, I'd feel far more comfortable dropping that 100 million on Pedri than I would Bellingham. And it just feels like one is just infinitely more mature in their performances. And I don't know if it's just basing this off the most recent fixture and it's being a bit clouded, but Pedri feels about as complete a midfielder coming through as I can remember seeing in so long. He gives me a slightly different type of players, but a young player coming through like uh, Fabregas where, you know, with Foden and we're saying he's just really good technically, but Fabregas was mucking in as well. And he's doing all of these proper central midfielder things. This is what it feels like more with some of these guys coming through. Musiala's in that as well. Yeah. Pedri's taken a lot of responsibility at Barcelona at a time when they're not good. And he's sort of one of the main consistent sort of, forces in that team so he's taken on a lot of responsibility already so it shows a maturity to him in terms of his personality as well as his play you're right about the award situation there's got to be something done with it in terms of once you play a certain amount of games senior games you can't be eligible or if it's you make it a rookie of the year award or something because yeah he's let's say whose midfield wouldn't he get into yeah he ends pretty much everybody's so that tells you something you're not just a young player, are you? No, and it's it's even just outside of the awards. Just when we're discussing these guys, it's it just it just feels like he should be in different conversations. Yeah, yeah. I, I think comparing him to some of the guys coming through is unfair on the guys coming through because he's just that much ahead of them. And also, it's not a shock anymore. Like he he isn't he hasn't only just come around. No, like no. this this is a massive stage, so far more eyes are going to be on him. But as you've just said, this isn't someone just breaking through. This is someone who's been consistently doing this. What do you go? League to Euros to Olympics to League to World Cup. Like, yeah. Did he play 70 games in a year or something stupid? So, And then as he gets physically stronger, he's probably more likely to have, uh, I don't know the right word, that kind of sharp, Busquets frame, if that makes any sense at all. Like, I don't think you're going to see him muscled out. No, he is no, going no. to he is going to get stronger, 
and he's going to have um, the right kind of frame to hold people off the ball and do all that kind of thing more than he's even able to now. The thing that Xavi mastered, wasn't it? Like, it's, uh, yeah. It just wouldn't get pushed off the ball for a small guy. And there's so much to it. That even just things of how you hold your centre of gravity and you can look at someone like Cazorla, like one of the smallest blokes you've ever seen on a football pitch. And then you actually look back at the people that were knocking him off the ball and it's like, it actually wasn't happening as frequently as you may have imagined it to. And if he works on the bunda, he can do the hazard as well. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the clip of Yaya talking about that, <laughs> yeah, so Declan Rice was like he's getting flashbacks of like some incredible Latina cheeks he remembers from years before. Like and Rice is lighting up. Rice is just sort of like embarrassingly trying to <laughs> hurry the conversation along, but Yaya would just keep going back to it. It's like, yeah. No, seriously, it's a weapon. <laughs> Unbelievable and. The thing I will say about Pedri as well, you did it in the group chat. A lot of people are going to be um, calling him a Barcelona youth player, which isn't true either. Is he not? Where's no, he from? They bought him from Las Palmas. How old was he when he came across? Is it like a... Uh... I don't think it's a Nick and a kid. I think he was... Okay, I think okay. he was, what, 16, 17? So, so essentially, they're going to call him a La Masia sort of player. And I don't think he was actually ever part of that. I think is right in saying. But that will obviously get lost over the years and we'll just call him La Masia, won't we? Might get lost from the episode as well. I feel <laughs> like I've just been... <laughs> no, well. Um, that is fair because I, I, I was criticising people for doing that with Garnacho mm. a couple of weeks back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't know when you said it then if it was like a Walcott one. So no, I it's, think... It's like that. I think it's a similar situation with um, Iniesta because well, they, they got him off Albacete, I think I'm right in saying. And again, I think it was at one of those ages where would have been sort of turning pro age. So not... So he's like not 16, 17. So not an academy. He hasn't come through the academy, but they have nicked him very so early. Like, so what are we doing with Martinelli then? So Martinelli came 17, but we signed him from the fourth mm. tier in Brazil. So nobody really... Yeah. I'm reluctant with Pedri because I always think in my mind, he's still about 16 now. So I'm never kind of thinking what age did they get him with? But yeah, I think it was around then. Yeah, fair, fair play. Um, Belgium. So De Bruyne... Kevin. Oh, I mean, I mean they oh, fucked themselves in, in, in just so many different ways because we need to talk all, about Kevin. Jesus, yeah, uh, <laughs> what, why? We need to talk about what that guy that in that film might be less, might not be as bad <laughs> as what Kevin De Bruyne has done to this team. Why so many teams when Germany did their kind of thing pre-game? Well, like, well, we need to focus on the football. And I think you shared a tweet saying similar. Like they've spent weeks perfecting this gesture rather than yeah. focusing on like build-up play and patterns and things. I don't know what they think happens with this, but that was what was being said anyway. And okay, so the second you lose now, everyone's going to be saying, well, focus on your football <laughs> because this is what's happened. And then you come out pre-game. Yeah, that was... And say that your team's too old and I get the sense that it was aimed at the defence, was it not? Because he was responding to a comment about that. I think it was certainly interpreted that way, whether it was, in it was intended to be or not. I think you've probably got to know how this is going to be interpreted if you're in his because shoes. I assumed when I saw the headline at first, it was going to be like a sarcastic A totally cheap comment, like, yeah. Oh, well, we're too old, aren't we? So obviously we... And then... I think you read out a tweet during the game where it was like, this man just wants to get back to playing through balls into Haaland. <laughs> like, he cannot be asked with this. So you can't with that pre-game. You then get cooked by Morocco where 
I feel like every time we big up Courtois, he does something to basically say, just let other people enter the conversation. It's the Ballon d'Or court curse, isn't it? If you're a yeah. keeper, do not ever mention it because it's a hiding to nothing. Because he probably <laughs> got good karma for calling out Goldbridge, if anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Who said since that he was trying to explain in the DMs to Courtois. And Courtois just said, well, I just felt insulted that you were even like mentioning me. Like, <laughs> what a mental DM session that is. Those two going back and forth. It's no sense. <laughs> He claims he was on holiday and then his phone just started blowing up and he looks and the first thing he sees is just someone saying, Goldberg's getting battered by Courtois online. He's finished him. And he was trying to say he hadn't. I feel like Courtois made his point pretty clear in do not compare me to that bum, De Gea. Imagine this like, is like, his girlfriend or wife or whatever she is just going across her. What are you doing on your phones? Oh, I'm just going back and forth with <laughs> a Man United fan who says random shit on the internet. I think he... Was him, wasn't it? That's to have some conversations with his missus, so maybe she stays out of it now. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With maybe that's point. what the issue is. Maybe that's still there, <laughs> still underlying. Yeah. So they can see the goal early with one of those offside calls, which I despise. So within some kind of region, and that's where the issue falls, I do feel we do need to put some responsibility on the keepers too. If you can't see move, <laughs> it's usually the way about it this one yesterday where the guy hasn't even touched it the keeper is clearly looking at the ball the whole way but you can get a cop out and say well he was in the keeper's eye line ridiculous I hated it when Connor was on here saying it about the Xhaka De Gea one it's just a ridiculous well, I thought that rule. one was significantly worse for what it's worth I thought this one I thought they were always going to give it I had no doubt and then the, there was the one on Friday, yeah, wasn't there? Where the keepers dived past the ball. He's dived the other way. That was a terrible one, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that was, that was really bad because when the ball was hit, before he <laughs> went past the player, the ball dived. So, no, nah, trust me, I was getting back up, trust me. This, like, yeah, this Courtois one, like, the ball's coming in and whether he heads it or not makes a split decision makes a split second decision for Courtois whether he dives or not so I can kind of I get it I, and the problem is if you then pull that rule out then you're going to have people standing in front of the keeper like constantly just trying to block their view, block their view and like, they went back end? to it and then they score a goal via the same routine later in the game <laughs> do we think this was something yeah. that they identified with Courtois in their research or is it something where after the first one works you say or we'll stick it on him again. You know, sometimes you see a corner go in, the keeper flaps it the first time. Yeah. And even in the stands, you're saying, put this ball right on that keeper's head. So is it something that yeah. and he's, anyone's noticed with Courtois before? Or is it just, it worked the first time, try it again? He's always been quite competent. His, front, his near post from when he was at Chelsea, from what I remember. So it must have just been, you know, when... You play Sunday league and this keeper doesn't <laughs> want it. Courtois was on the night. It's out just the night one before. of them. Just to... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get it up him, as they say. And uh, that's exactly what they seem and to do. And then post game, Vertonghen is being interviewed and he says, like, I think our I think our attack is just maybe a bit too old. <laughs> Not so subtle from young. Incredible. 
And I mean, I'll tell you what, that that helps <laughs> the divides in this camp <laughs> because it it's a fair take from De Bruyne. It is absolutely. I think I read the stat that it's too honest, isn't it? I mean, their defense was aged like 120 combined. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We said it in our preview book. Yeah, that, yeah. He, if we're saying Southgate's been too loyal to certain players, Martinez definitely is. But the the Pete, the Kevin De Bruyne piece, the journalist is saying that you know De Bruyne's sort of guarded himself a reputation as being like straight talking to a point, and it's great for an interview. I'm sure it is, but there's also a point where you go, you're being too honest now. I don't need you to outline every flaw we've got, actually. It's it's fine. So you do look quite yeah, nice in that I, dress. I, I guess you don't need to say that, ah, you could look better. You can just say, you know what, you look all right. You don't need to be giving it too much honesty. Was it? I guess it's one of them where when you're winning absolutely everything every week with City, you can be that honest because... It will come across but, as endearing. Well, he got praised for saying he didn't deserve could, the man of the match award, didn't but, he? But I think that's good. Yeah, I think, for example, that is good. But the thing is, if you're going to give this type of interview, I always think you've got to do it with something that the team can change. So if you say, well, look, we are being... For example, there'd be some Liverpool players at the start of the year going, we're starting games terribly. We've got to sort this out. And you'd say that's a good, honest, frank discussion too old you can't change that none of them can go oh well you know reverse the time so you just and to say we can't win it I mean if an England player came out and said no we can't win it even in situations where we definitely couldn't have won you can't say it As yeah. like, like you said I was expecting this to read the piece in more depth and then to go you know tongue firmly in cheek he said well we've got no chance have we And you, but it was, there was no hint of that at all it was and he's not talking about body language. His body language before this game, yeah. uh, the most recent game, he looked like a man who'd been sent there like under duress. Yeah. Check his pyjamas. Mm. It, it's a nice change as well because when I click those articles and they were joking, I feel so resentful and I feel so fuming that I've fallen into the trap. But <laughs> for one, you don't have to play five at the back. Like If this is the way it's going to be, then play a four and maybe get some younger legs in there. I'm not as sold as some on that uh, Feist, the new Leicester one. No. He he at least can run faster than a snail's pace. This is it. They needed more energy, didn't they? In, in the first game, it was like he was like being forced to bring Onana on. It's like, well, look at this. It was like, you're going to have to get some legs in there. And at least I'm, he started him to say, well, even if you're not convinced by him, you go, well, he's got no. something else that this midfield doesn't have. Maybe I'm expecting more after Cam called him a young Yaya Torre, but... <laughs> <laughs> the, the bloke yeah. to me looks like such typical Everton in just running around and you can go back to that Keane quote. He looks just like he just wants to smash into someone every now and then. Just to make himself feel better. Oh. I mean, that's literally all he's doing. The, the bloke's played about 60 minutes and he's suspended for the last game. Like, How does, how does that even happen? especially when you're in a possession-based team. (laughs) But I I actually do think this team needed something a bit in there, some energy, because it just, especially in that first game, you watch them thinking there's no legs here at all. And look, I I do think a big part of the problem, I'm sorry, Jack, is going to make you feel a bit uncomfortable, but the playing of Hazard is just a huge problem because he's so, he's just done. He's just not that guy anymore. And the fact that he's your captain and you seem to be trying to force him into this team, it's just he's offering like nothing really in terms of can't go past people anymore, so he doesn't have that to his game. Isn't obviously going to do the other side of the game. If we talk about some of our players, don't want to, um, as soon as like luxury, he's the ultimate luxury now and, and doesn't give you enough on the attacking end. 
<laughs> it's so sad to see <laughs> someone who's so good turn into what he has almost instantly after leaving us. It was just great so business weird Chelsea. to see that down. Because they've only scored one pass candidate, yeah. because they lost by two yesterday, a, a draw with Croatia, they would have said beforehand, would be an all right result to end the group. That will take them then to probably less goals scored than Morocco after they play Canada. The head-to-head to Morocco will be worse. The goal difference to Morocco will be worse. Hmm. They need to go out and they need to beat Croatia, yep. which is at an all-time low. I'm sure if they win, there's going to be some article saying, look, De Bruyne gave them the kick at the backside they needed. And they needed this loss to kind of galvanise them and make them come back together. It It's as much an indictment of the coach they had before Martinez that he can be considered any kind of success because the bloke stinks. <laughs> Do you not think if, if, we, if we sacked Southgate and then we found out Martinez was coming in, <laughs> even, he, even Southgate's biggest critics, I don't even think they'd get out of their seat. No, no. It's, he he hasn't been great. I think this tournament, I think he's got his squad selection wrong. I think we kind of touched on it in our pod on it that we felt it needed re-energising a little bit and it has gone a bit stale and, and it looked probably even more stale than we would have thought, actually. So I think that's his biggest mistake. I actually largely agree with... I don't know if you've seen any of um, George Ware's cousin's tweets about him. Um, it's a Maybe. bit loaded in that he is a Wigan fan, so he's probably got a bit <laughs> of skin in the game. But he is kind of sort of reframing it as a little bit to go, well, look, he hasn't been that bad in terms of his tenure. And it's the the real black mark on this golden generation of Belgium is with the guy just before him. Obviously, they lose to Wales in that year. And you go, that's a, that's a horrible loss. In terms of the Martinez's ones, what, do they you get to a semi-final? Is that a disaster for a, a team like Belgium? I don't think it's that bad. They lose to the eventual winners. I don't think his previous CV with Belgium is as bad as we initially think, but he's got that reputation kind of thing of he's not fully reliable. You don't, you're not fully convinced by him. And I think they are going to go out on a whimper in this tournament and therefore that's definitely going to affect his reputation. Can you not look at the other guys there? I mean, they've started with Ardawir or Vertonghen, Castagna at centre-backs odd in itself. And then Hazard and Mounier almost as like wing-backs here. So I know it's Thorgan, but elsewhere on the bench, you've got Dendonka, who's played at the everywhere back, <laughs> in a back three, yeah, or in defensive midfield, as you've said, you've got face in there, and then you just look at if you're going to have a slow team, and you look at maybe it's a bad example, but Thiago Silva is probably would lose a foot race to even those those Belgian defenders. Been but interesting. Then look at look at what they put around him, and you look on the bench for Belgium, and I mean Carrasco doesn't have the legs that he did. You look at and you've got. Doku, you've got Fais if you want someone at the back. You've got Tielemans, who was a sub in this game. You've got Trossard, who, if we're talking about form, the bloke is in, he's probably never going to hit form like this again. Yeah, he should be playing with Hazard, isn't he? And he Martinez has created his own problem there by sticking with Hazard. Yeah, it's... It's yeah, insane. You, I don't even think you can Hazard... keep some of those more experienced players in there whilst getting younger like, and legs around them, which would seem like the common sense approach. But Martinez is just—I don't know whether he just hasn't got the personality to drop some of these older players or what. But it's 
it's insane because even for a second game, you can frame it to the players if you want to boost their ego and go, you know, we've got a big game coming up in the third and we've won this one. We give other guys a chance here. And then we basically see who makes the cut. I was convinced after seeing Trossard come on against Canada that he was going to start the second game. Mm. I was convinced. And even with their promos beforehand, I mean, you had, what was it? Let's say the king over there doing his celebration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I was second guessing myself as I said it. Yeah, it was, <laughs> you're giving him the big sell, and then clearly uh, can't carry it through. Maybe you'll make these big changes for the Croatia game. Old legs there, get some energy in about him because that midfield, De Bruyne can play as he wants, and maybe I can feel some vindication for what I've said about him before. Hmm. That's an old midfield that knows how to play like an old midfield. The control in there is probably after Spain, as good as you're going to see. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I hope they go out because they really are an unlikable bunch. They've got a shit kit. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I thought they jobbed Canada. That second penalty oh, that isn't given yeah. is, is scandalous. And then they snake it down the other end. A couple of other teams just to ask you about before we uh, call it a day. We spoke a lot about uh, Herdman in our Canada podcast, TK. Mm. Has he done enough that a reasonably sized team would take a go on him in the Premier League? Or is he better off sticking around for when they get an international tournament in the USA and Canada in four years' time? Yeah, it depends how much of a rush he's in, isn't it? I would probably suggest... I don't know. I guess you could stagnate as manager, but I would suggest sticking around for that. You could probably Four years is a long time. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? I think they've shown us glimpses of what he wants to do and what he can do. Um, I don't think a Prem club on this evidence will take a chance. I think it would be seen as a real roll of the dice. and I'm not sure if any club is going to do that. But having said that, obviously Southampton have just gone for... Um, what's his face from Luton, haven't they? So, you know, clubs do make yep. odd decisions. Um, yeah, I do think they're very unlucky against Belgium. You're right. But I thought they were then really good to start with against Croatia and then faded badly. And so you're probably going to put that down to personnel, but I think at some point you're probably going to look at, okay, the manager wasn't able to deal with this either. Yeah. So I'm you're going to say he's got something, but is he going to be... Someone like Jesse Marsh has something, but he's still, yeah. you know. On the record early... I don't think Lopetegui lasts eight months at Wolves. No, I'll, I'll probably go with you there. That's. Um, I mean, if they want to change and they don't want particularly boring football, I don't think he's necessarily the guy. I mean, <laughs> he's kind of, by my understanding is, that he's pretty sensible. So, Wales, is it as simple as Bale and Ramsey can't carry the weight anymore? Because Ramsey, if we're talking about Hazard stinking, she whiz. Yeah, the evidence the evidence is pointed pointing to yeah. I think the gone are the days where Bell's gonna drag a team by the scruff of its own neck and drag it forward. We saw probably the one of the worst halves of what one of the worst games we've <laughs> ever seen against Ram. Um of just the balls that were coming into them were of when I say they're not of quality. I think that's, again, under-egging it. It was so bad, some of these balls I've seen pumped into the area. They were landing 20 yards from the actual target of Bale or Ramsey. I think 
I guess it's one of those, there's only so much you can do when you get in service like that, that's one. But two, you can't rely on Bell to create for himself anymore and you haven't got the players to create for him, which is going to be an issue. I think Wales would be better off playing Gareth Bale and Camrol and just with Kiefer Moore up front and getting him on the ball more to see if he can influence something in the middle of the park because the lack of quality in that midfield was just so... When you're hearing get Dan James it. on, I, I know that <laughs> things are worrying for you. <laughs> no. No, I know that we shouldn't want Wales, Wales to qualify, but I was, a little bit of me was kind of thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind them getting a goal here. Um, I then up screaming at the TV, a team that I actively should be supporting against. Just, just play football at one time. I just, just wanted a goal at that stage. I just can't. <laughs> but they weren't even able to go yeah, like direct. Like if you've got Kiefer Moore up there, probably yeah. maybe just lump it up to him a few times. But they didn't even do that. You think what are you? What is the plan here? Yeah, that that is exactly what I meant by if you've got Kiefer Moore up there, do what he does best, which is just. I don't think you got one-headed chance, isn't it? It's the only thing he's there for. You're not, yeah. you're not getting into his feet. A very um, basic was... question. So if you try and answer it the best you can, maybe Jack might be a good one to answer it. If you do have a particularly ageing guy up top. Ah, uh, there we go. Uh, actually, no, even not an ageing guy. If you have maybe one superstar in your team, frame it that way. So if you can apply this in the same way to you've got Gareth Bale at Wales and if you can look at someone, maybe Son for career, are you better to stick that guy Mm. through the middle and have their experience lead you through the centre or are you better to have them out wide where they can isolate someone? Maybe Bale isn't the best example, but I was thinking of Son today and there was a debate about should he be down the middle or should he be out wide? Um. I think Even if you look at really old Bale, sorry, because Bale the, dragged Wales through and then yeah. I look at that performance today. <laughs> I, I look at Sun today. Crying again. When he was... <laughs> when you, when you, <laughs> Did you break someone's leg today, Sun? <laughs> when you talk about... <laughs> um, when you were talk, talking about isolating someone, he, just, he was isolating himself. I think... When you put one of your star players that wide and when he's your only star player, when the team's not worried about anyone else but that player, i.e. a Bale in a Wales team, a Son in a South Korea team, did a bit of a disservice to some of the other players there, but I don't think I am with Wales. Where, like Son had about five white shirts on him today, every time he was out wide. So they literally just went down that we don't care about anyone else, we just want him root. And if you play your star player wide, you fall into that trap. I think if you stick them through the middle, Clear if there's a chance that forces someone, you've got a much higher, yeah, you've got much higher probability. Plus, if you've got <laughs> everyone rushing to block the one person in the middle, that leaves the wings wide open or what you'd hope that would turn into. Whereas if you want to then isolate the defender you're playing against and they triple up on you and you're only isolating yourself and that's just a detriment to the team. I think, I think they should be playing Bale in either a false nine or a like a number 10 position just to try and get him on the ball more because he is the only person that team that and he doesn't have the legs to sort of do it out wide anymore does it it's not like he's going to go past people too much so get his sort of creativity on the ball in the middle rather than what you used to have from him which is blistering past people I saw a tweet earlier to say that Sun is the only player to ever get worse when putting the face mask on 
<laughs> Maybe Aubameyang tested that theory earlier early in the season for Chelsea, but it's uh, very few and far between. It's like when you see um, a techie winger put that wrist strapping on, you know, it's, it's just go time. Like, don't even bother trying to mark this guy. Um, I want to see my winger put on the uh, plasters like Nelly. I want to see some Brazilian. I want to see Martinelli line up for Brazil with the stripes under my eyes, like Nelly, and it's just go time. And Let me tell you, if England got Brazil and Trent was starting, and I saw Martinelli with the, uh, <laughs> the I mean, let's just pack up immediately, gents. We don't need this. <laughs> um, last two questions. So, last two country Brazil. If we talk about the first game and the second game separately, because they were very separate. Um, Richie lad, different animal in that Brazil shit. Yeah, he really is, isn't he? He's sort of, he just sort of carries himself a bit differently. He seems like he's, yeah, he's just really backs himself to be the main, sort of, certainly the main goal threat. Even if he's yeah. not obviously the best player, I think everyone knows it's quite visible actually in the Brazil team that Neymar's the guy, but someone like him and Vinny Jr., whatever, they're cool. more senior players. But Richie does back himself to I'll be the guy that gets the goals. Can you bring yourself to say Chiche? Because I keep hearing the commentators say that. Still doesn't sound right to me. Couldn't really bring myself to say Richie Lad, and I found myself doing this. So, <laughs> but anything's possible. I'm not saying Vinny uh, Chanks, but all right. Hey, get me doing that. You were all cooking me on Friday because I made a slight observation. <laughs> and I'll get Jack's take on this. I think it was the way you made the observation as much as anything, but cool. You'll enjoy it. Nothing else. That Richarlison goal on Friday wasn't as good as was being made out. Let's have how you said it the first time, though. It wasn't that good was how you first phrased it. Yeah, well, yeah, it wasn't that good. If you like capitalised a that good, like it wasn't that. Like, I, I don't want to hear like that's that's the goal of the tournament already because I I really hope it's not. A goal yesterday, to be exactly. Further Canada goal yesterday than that. When if we're looking at like the tears of bicycle kicks, if we if you could do the analysis like you're getting for this semi-automated VAR, I want to see the angle at which you're striking the ball. He's getting and the second, the second it's slightly no. sideways, uh, right. it turns more into what I would call more of like a Lampard goal. I think it's called one of that for England than than overhead. I don't call that overhead. I've- I mean, I'd let you dig yourself into a hole a little bit there because this was like a bad touch. It was a great touch to start with. That's. I just. I think you're clutching a bit over Byron. I think it was a brilliant. The way the way he whips round and like keeps it on target. Amount of times you try that down the park and it goes. I'm breaking. I actually. It's ridiculous. One of the few times I got injured playing football was trying to attempt a bicycle kick and landed on the back of my neck. But that was because I tried going straight up. I, if I'd gone sideways, <laughs> you'd have put it top in. I'd have at least braced my fall better. That, that was the only thing. Well, your argument then is if, if you say, look, it's not that much of a bicycle kit, I'll maybe go with you, but it can still be an unbelievable goal. And not it was a good goal. I think it was a great goal. Yeah, I think it's it the, re- the whole basis that you're not calling this a bicycle well, kit doesn't have that scissor motion, isn't it? Whereas this, he whips his foot round from starting position over his head 
and then lands it. The thing you have to understand just, is I'd be saying the exact really- same if Jesus did that. <laughs> yeah, this was as I as I said to you on Friday. If Martinez did that or Jesus, you would be uh, enjoying it. I think it's fair to say. I think there'd be a bit more sauce on it. First of yeah. all, <laughs> while, while playing for you, while playing for your country, I don't want to see you do anything like that. I want you slow and steady. Get through the game. Get home safe. Pick up your caps. <laughs> I mean, when I saw Ghana win today, and it was like, for God's sake, man! <laughs> it's going to be. It's amazing that Party's got through two games. He's not getting through three unscathed. And Xhaka, we've got to hope that Serbia do a job in the week. So I saw a lot of Spurs fans dining out on these goals for Richarlison in Brazil. I mean, before we get too ahead of ourselves, let's get him a league goal <laughs> because we're still looking for one of them. <laughs> the, I was, the hate doesn't stop with an international tour and it goes, the show goes on. Well, the, the thing that is really important in this, and you can back this up from a uh, well, previous podcast, I didn't like this bastard before he joined Spurs. <laughs> yeah, listen, if you want to give him marks down because yeah. you hate him, I'll, I'll go with you because he is, his face is really annoying. Uh, if, but if you were... It does seem strange that he apparently is a lovely fellow, which is, does, is annoying. Yeah. I, I'm kind yeah. of happy to bl- blank that out. If, if you were the Brazil manager and you're asking your striker to do nothing more than put the ball in the back of the net, then the Richarlison pick makes perfect sense. I actually think in Neymar's absence, you could probably do with someone like Gabriel Jesus to do something in between. But Fred obviously makes more sense. Um, Jesus, yeah, no concerns with uh, what he does. It is interesting that there was a lot of talk about how he was mentally affected from the 2018 World Cup. And I don't know if you read these reports, but he's purposely being steered away from the media this time around. The Brazilian FA have supposedly said, and that's what their media are reporting over there. Right. Um, so he's doing no media duties. They're basically saying, we just want you focusing on the football, nothing else. We don't want any kind of pressure being given to you here. So it's interesting to see either what happens to him at Arsenal if he has a great tournament and he can come in and make an impact or if it would things would be different than how it could have been if he was leading the line and he doesn't have the tournament that he would be hoping for. So could be to our benefit, could be the other way around. We'll wait and see. I think a huge thing that we probably underestimate here with Brazil, if you're their striker, is that you show a certain sort of personality. I think they have an idea of what a, a leading striker is like in terms of as a character. And I think as a result, I think with his showing in the last tournament, he's just kind of been written off as the main striker for them. Yeah. Uh, in a way that Richarlison's kind of not because he's able to, he looks a certain way, carries himself a certain way, which is probably unfair. I felt for it with um, that Tim Vickery bit before Jesus joined Arsenal when they were saying, well, in Brazil, they're debating, what is he? Are you a striker or are you a winger or whatever? And the fact that Jesus said, well, look, I don't know, I think it scared them a lot. And I think that kind of there's a lot of scarring on that with Brazil in a way that here, I think we would probably forget about it quite quickly. If you played well, We'll throw you back in. It's it's a difficult. It's a different thing for them. I think. I, th- I think I sent you an article before from um, an Arsenal writer who married into a Brazilian family, mm. and he was explaining that even from our perspective and how crazy we go over the World Cup, you cannot comprehend. No, no, what it's like over there when you go into an office 
and the lady in your office is talking about the England game last night to feel involved. Every man, woman, and child in Brazil, yeah, yeah, is coming to a standstill to watch these. And the old lady on the corner of the street is going to be yelling, "Gabriel Jesus, you bastard!" If you've not put it in the back of the well, net, they're talking games. about how they consider like twenty years of drought. You think, well, yeah, I mean, we wouldn't mind that. The other decisions for them, I've mentioned the fullbacks thing and uh, how strange it is that, I mean, Danilo, Alexandro and Alex Tellez can be your options going into a tournament. Does um, Paqueta over Bruno Guimaraes feel strange to you? Yeah, it feels odd to me. Because <laughs> Bruno, we, we've been discussing how many teams are there in the Premier League doesn't start for. Yeah. And then you look and you see Fred and Paqueta getting minutes in that midfield ahead of him. Paqueta, maybe when it gets to January, we'll have some conversations about this guy. Um, it's an interesting one, but then the same token is being said when people look at our national team. So maybe it's just one of those things. Yeah, yeah, potentially. But you would, I would probably say, you know, the, the, the thing with ours is say, should Foden be in of amount? We're saying that, Mount is the more sort of conservative sense, which I wouldn't say that about Puqueta and Bruno. I'd say Bruno's probably gone a little bit more all round and is probably a, probably a safer option as well. I you can say. do it deeper, yeah. Yeah, so it's a, a bit of a weird one all round in that sense. But at the minute, he's getting it right, isn't he? So like, these decisions and the one like Richardson start over Jesus and Martinelli not starting, etc. As long as you're winning games, he yeah. it'll be treated that he's getting it right. Yeah, I mean, Anthony's a pick over... Martinelli, so mental all round. Strange, yeah, strange hierarchy in that sense. Graham Sooner said that Olivier Giroud is extremely lucky to have had the career that he's had. <laughs> in the same conversation, can we be saying about the dedication and Cristiano Ronaldo squeezing every ounce of his talent and then almost say that as a downfall for Giroud? That look, you capitalised when other people got injured or did some inappropriate things. Surely Giroud, you've almost got to applaud this, haven't you? Again, shows the importance of narratives, doesn't it? Yeah, because you're absolutely right. That's exactly it with Giroud. He's got everything out of himself. Um, a guy that has got no pace and has been able to work around it in a, yeah. in a time when strikers, it's kind of seen as movement and pace as key attributes and he's been able to work around it. He's, yeah, the, the perfect foil for players like Mbappe but also a good enough player in his own right. He's not just there as a, you know, that's that period where we were playing Heskey just to try and get more out of Michael <laughs> Owen. You're like, well, how are we doing it? He's kind of, he can do both. And I was, I was half joking when I said that I thought the Benzema uh, injury was good for France, but I do think it solves a potential problem for them down the line that you would have to have played Benzema and Giroud is just a perfect fit. He's told the media over there that he'd be ready for a course final against England. Then yeah, that that would be reintroducing a problem. Um, yeah, there's already been reports about the atmosphere pre and post Benzema. Mm. Yeah, I can believe and, it, and all of these things. Um, Mbappe has told their media over there that he only just realised that playing alongside a striker like Giroud is actually the best thing that can happen for his career. So um, there we go. It's a little bit weird I, when you suggest that was at the heart of some of his complaints about PSG was that he yeah. thought he should have someone else like, to play off, basically. And obviously Messi and Neymar aren't really those guys for him. Weird. I, I do every so often have to have that performance against Montpellier at home 
in um, against Monaco, sorry, at home in the Champions League, just to remind me that this guy can be the worst of the worst <laughs> when he's having a bad day. Yeah. But when you look now... If you've got Mbappe and Co next to you, you can get away with it a little bit more than you could. At, uh, one, of the, one of the biggest mistakes um, that Arsene Wenger ever made was um, sacrificing Giroud and keeping Lacazette when you look back because... Mm, the combination yeah. that Giroud and Aubameyang could have been together with Giroud Oof. at coming into his peak and Aubameyang at the peak of his powers and we were trying to play two up top would have been frightening but we'll never know and then the last note we had a lot of complaints about nil nils um, I'll go back to work today and we get a 3-3 a 3-2 a 2-0 a 1-0 sorry and then Portugal Uruguay so there you go. If you question my luck, there you have it. Anything else to add, or are we uh, wrapping things up? While we, uh, I think we should get, as it's only, you said, only um, twelve hours away. What is our prediction for England Wales? I, in my predictor, have put down a one-nil England win. I'm going to say two-nil. You're usually the positive one, Jack, when it comes to England. Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go 2-0, I think. And I think if it is 2-0, we'll both be happy and disappointed. Yeah, I think it'll be a dull display where it's like 1-0 for a bit and then we'll maybe just get a late one. And it'll be always 2-0. It wasn't really a 2-0, though. I need to see Jack calling out some uh, Mm. falsely drawn lines on the automated system. So (laughs) we await that. To be fair, this new system... They did with the uh, Portugal game, so <laughs> there you go. I think, yeah, uh, as soon as we have one go against us, we'll find a way to argue with it, I'm sure. Yeah, it's always going to happen. Uh, oh, yeah. Tune in to Movie Madness this week. Mentioned it last week. Can't really believe it's happening. I will be doing Leon the Professional up against Rise of the Foot Soldier 3. <laughs> um, I mean, it sounds mental to me, but we'll be doing that this week. And then we're back after, hopefully... England are in what will be the quarterfinals of a World Cup, hopefully by Monday. Blimey, jeez. So there you go. Thanks for listening. We'll be back. Goodbye.